you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Eric. Hey guys, I am itching for a fight today. It's me, Eric, and we just got off of Duelin, Duelin Sham Fix, and I am the losingest among us, and I need <laughs> some material. I'm just, what, what do you got? Something, something good. Oh, it's something real good. Monsieur Carlson, battling Eric Carlson, as we <laughs> have come to know you. Um, today, we are going to pitch to you none other than the West Wing. Oh, good. Oh, I'm glad we're actually doing this. Awesome. Yes, we are keeping good on the promise that we made on last week's episode. <laughs> We've been talking about this since the beginning of the show, so yeah. really excited. Oh, I'm excited for, yeah. for you and for our fan a V. We're not going to say who that is. Oh, we, <laughs> our singular fan. <laughs> <laughs> shout out! Shout out to our fans A V, K K, and M M. <laughs> Come on, guys, be cool. Be cool. Don't let don't let them know that they're the only ones listening. Uh, hey, we have dozens of listeners. Uh, Baker's uh, dozens. dozens. Tens. Thirteens. Oh, right. So, yes, we're talking about the West Wing today. So, Mm -hmm. keeping to the dueling shamfic model, we're going to be keeping our pitches a little little shorter than we have been, and we're going to actually time them, like, literally time them as we did last time. Ten-minute pitches were dueling sham fiction. We're going to do 15 for this. Oh, that's nice. I think that's a nice length. Well, we got got twice as many pitchers, so you add twice as much time and you get 15 instead of 10. <laughs> Works out. Uh, Checks out. Well, one second. One second. Let me check your math. Yeah, follow. The one second. I'm still two. checking it. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. we're good. Oh, good. <laughs> he was right. I checked wow. the math. Marcus, you're smart. Well, because oh, you've got a 10 minute pitch, and if you were to split that between two people, it'd be five minutes each. But since uh-huh. we're adding two people, then you add that extra five minutes back in, and you hey. get 15. That's just we're, we're good, guys. I'm a graduate candidate. Uh, Man, you, you just explained that down. like uh, a staffer on the West Wing might. <laughs> oh. <Okay. laughs> uh, let's All get right. into it, though. Yeah, I'm going to start the clock here. 15 uh, minutes. Yep, and we're going to go. Ready? This is it. All right, so the West Wing was created by Monsieur Aaron Sorkin, a fan of ours. Eric knows of him. Eric has we're, even based some of his writing off of him. him. He's not a fan of ours. Let's he be could listen. We don't know. Uh, he doesn't know we exist. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so this show came out in 99. Uh, the pilot was written by Sorkin and directed by Tommy Shalami, who directed uh. Uh, quite a few episodes and is also really great. And he kind of set the standard for this show, kind of created the style that we've grown to know and love. So the West Wing, the general outline, the plot of this show, this is the day-to-day work of the president of these United United States and his senior staff. So we're seeing behind the scenes in the offices of the White House, including the Oval One, and seeing the day-to-day work, the day-to-day grind of running this country from the executive branch. So we see political dealings, you know, them, you know, on damage control with military crises, um... Public speaking events, lawmaking, it's all of those things that go into what the what what the president does day to day. Awesome. And this is a the, the administration that we're following, the Bartlett administration, and we'll get into President Bartlett here in a second. This is kind of an idealistic liberal democratic administration. So 
They yeah. are very progressive. Uh, Marcus, you want to add something? Everyone is is bonkers brilliant in this administration. <laughs> I think okay. the, the cleaning staff went to Harvard. They can all spout off ad nauseum uh, about any topic from technological to environmental to political. And uh, that's how they talk all the time. <laughs> nice. Yes. Impossibly brilliant. Like, Everyone, like Marcus said, everyone. Like that, I, we won't list those as traits for any of the characters going forward because you already got them. Just assume encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of any topic. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> Great. Um, but what I really love about this show is that it's always a constant struggle for these folks. So even though they're impossibly brilliant and you know progressive and forward thinking, it's still a struggle to get anything done. In this administration, even at the start of the show, the president's approval rating is very low, um, despite how much we learn to love him. The public in this world doesn't necessarily love him quite as much. So I think there's kind of a flow to the episode storylines. That's, that's about that struggle, right? So you'll usually be presented with something, a conflict, and it seems like there's a really easy answer. They give you enough evidence to say, okay, well, we need to do this to avoid this crisis, or we need to do this to respect this group or save this environment. And then as soon as you're on board with it, you go, yeah, yeah, we should do that. They flip it and they go, well, what about these five different groups who all have different things and these valid arguments? So it's very much set up that every struggle uh, is compromise. There's no right yes. answer to these things. They just try to do the best they can. Yes. Gotcha. Good arguments. There's always there's always a cent at the center. It's an argument over a policy or you an could issue. Call it Socratic. Yeah, they would. <laughs> yeah, because they're smart. <laughs> they know what that means. They know what that means. All right, so let's get into these characters because that's the the bread and butter of the West Wing. So we're gonna start at the top with the man himself, Ooh. President the Josiah Bartlett. Also okay. known as Jed. He goes by Jed. Well, excuse me. He goes by Mr. President. You call him Mr. President. Because it's the office. Respect the office. A lot of respect for the office in this show. Very much so. So, <laughs> President Bartlett. He is amazing. Uh, he's, I, I wrote down here, folksy charm. So, <laughs> he says this outright. This is President Bartlett. He is a former governor of New Hampshire, so he's a New Englander. Um, his family is actually, like, dates back to, like, the settlers. He's, like, in a very old American family. But he's also, he was also an economics professor, so he's very professorial. He, he, he kind of lectures his team the way a professor would. Um, Nobel Prize and, in economics, of course. Yes, of course. Um, but the folksy charm of it is that he's incredibly intelligent, as they all are, but he's also very down-to-earth. And he's also a very religious man. He grew up Catholic, so his Catholic upbringing always comes into it in some fashion. All right, let's move on to the next. Cool. So next up, you got Leo McGarry, who is the chief of staff. And the show kind of establishes that the White House chief of staff does everything. <laughs> yep. Uh, Bartlett at one point says that, yeah, someone is your best friend, is he smarter than you? That's your chief of staff, Right. The guy who's going to take you through everything and really run the day-to-day -day and have your focus on the big issues. So all the president has to do is decide. So everything gotcha. comes through Leo before it goes to the president. Leo's a bit older. He's the one who convinced Bartlett to run. Uh, yep. Bartlett for America. And he's, he's a very straight-talking kind of guy. Uh, he is, is uh, just going to lay you down, but he's also friendly to the staff. And an important thing to know about Leo is that he is a closeted alcoholic. So that's something that becomes a struggle throughout. He's a recovering alcoholic, but it's yes. not a matter of public knowledge throughout most of the series. Sure. Yep. And he's gotcha. very frank to the staff about it. He's just like, I'm an alcoholic. That's what I am. Um, mm. But again, not public knowledge. Okay. All right. Moving on to probably my favorite yeah. of the West Wing staffers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr. Josh Lyman played by Bradley Whitford. He is the deputy chief of staff, so he reports up to Leo. They all pretty much report up to Leo, who reports up to the president. But Josh, 
He is the political expert. This guy has been in D.C. for a long time, and he knows how to wheel and deal, and a lot of people credit him with winning the election, um, his political knowledge. Um, but Josh, he's a bit of, he's, he's kind of cocky. <laughs> bit of a hothead, and uh, a very sarcastic man. Uh, as, as Marcus has pointed out, he's the guy that goes, okay. Like, <laughs> that's his thing. All right. Um, but Josh's thing is that he's usually the front lines when they meet with Congress. So if there's, like, a meeting with Congress people, it's usually Josh that goes up to the hill and meets with them. Okay. Um, and this, okay, Josh Lyman, what's his, his uh, official title again? Deputy Chief of Staff. Deputy Chief, Chief of Staff. So he's gotcha. the number three guy in the Bartlett administration. Works for McGarry. Yep. So, yeah, and Josh also kind of interfaces with the staff more than Leo would. Again, okay. the information kind of all goes up to Leo. Gotcha. All right, Marcus, next guy. All right, I'm skipping down your list here, Andrew, because after we've introduced Josh Lyman, we have oh, to introduce sure. his counterpart, Donna yep. Moss, who is Josh's secretary. Uh, they have this flirty relationship. Uh, things are always at ends with them. Although, yeah. uh, one of the things about Sorkin's writing is he just will drop plot threads and pick them up or never pick them up again. So the <laughs> will-they-won't-they of the Don and Josh relationship uh, kind of comes and goes. Oh, okay. But she's, she's very clever. She uh, got her job in the Bartlett campaign by just showing up and saying, I work for you now, after she had a bad breakup. <laughs> and uh, eventually became a pivotal member of the staff, regularly talks to the president, and is one of Josh's closest advisors. She also yes. goes on a lot of bad dates. <laughs> yeah. She's bad, she, she, yeah, she, for some reason, she dates a lot of bad guys. She's uh, often, the in the stories, uh, the audience surrogate. Because even though she is, like all people on the show, incompre- <laughs> incomprehensibly brilliant, she doesn't know the issues as well as the staff. Okay, gotcha. But if you need some verbal sparring, Josh and Donna, uh, there's a lot of that. But in a playful way. Yeah. Cool. What do you got next, Andrew? Yes, let's move on to Toby. Toby Ziegler, who is the White House Communications Director. So his responsibility is to craft the president's message. He is the lead speechwriter for the president. So okay. if the president has a public speaking event, Toby is the one that's responsible for crafting that message at that event. Gotcha. Um, so Toby, he is kind of a dry, brooding man, um, kind of prickly. He's very quiet, very internally emotional. And then when he gets ready to go and gets passionate, he will burst. Like, that's kind of his thing. I, 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 I've noted him as the Ross Geller of the West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, well, Toby's that- <laughs> Jewish, and that heritage comes up a lot in the show as well. And... In the ways that he behaves, he draws upon those beliefs frequently. Okay, he goes to temple on Saturdays. Neat. Uh, so All we right. got three Let's more. Move on to the we next. Move underneath Toby. Yeah, you got five minutes, guys. All right. Uh, I'll do Sam Seaborn real quick. He's yep. Rob Lowe, and that's essentially his role. Um, Super handsome. He's the deputy communications director, which is Toby Ziegler's, you know, deputy. So he helps with the speech writing. Uh, he's ridiculously handsome, jumpy, and fidgety. And this was before Rob Lowe got into the trouble that kind of sidelined his career. So everyone liked him at the time. Um, so that's, that's like Sam. Him. Ladies love Sam Seaborn. And Sam and Toby are, are uh, Sam and Josh are friends. So that's an old gotcha. thread that comes up a lot. Yeah. Sam, and Toby, you get the and most Josh important person we out. haven't mentioned yet. What'd you say? I said you get the most important person we haven't mentioned yet. I do. The most important person whom we love, love, love. C.J. Craig. C.J. Played by Allison Janney. The lovely, lovely Allison Janney. Okay. So C.J. is the press secretary. So she is responsible for briefing the press on the actions and the um, stance of the president. So the policies. She's yeah. the one that stands up in front of them and they yell at her and ask lots of questions. And she calls on them and answers them. Um, so CJ is always busy. She's always running around. She always has the press breathing down her neck. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of exasperated all the time. And um, tired. She's incredibly sweet. <laughs> like just she's and sharp. You know, um, she's the sort of person that's just very caring. But when she needs to talk back to the press, she can keep up with them. She's very quick witted. 
um, and also very clumsy. <laughs> she, okay. She's prone to running into people and falling over things. <laughs> it's very Sorkin. He loves the slapstick. Yes, but CJ seems to get the most of it. Yeah. Uh, and then the last, you got Charlie Young, who is the president's personal aide. He's referred to as his body man. So he was a college student who was applying to be a page at the White House, I believe. Yep. And his resume got pulled up because he's really clever. He's got the guy keeps the president on schedule, gets him anything he needs. Uh, even mm-hmm. if he starts dating the president's daughter, Zoe. So that's oh. pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's love cool Charlie. With that. Uh, and there, so he's he's a young black man, which becomes a point of plot for a lot of the episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. And when he was hired, the president was wondering, how is this going to read that I have a black kid giving me my coat, you know, bringing me my coffee? And oh, they sure. rightfully said, don't be an idiot, Mr. President. Uh, <laughs> if you're picking the best man for the job, Charlie's brilliant. And so the administration runs with it. Of course, sometimes there are outside forces that argue about that. Sure. Yeah, but Charlie's so cool. He's just even keeled. He's like again, like them all, incredibly intelligent, but he's very good natured and just down for whatever the president needs. Awesome. All right, so to all wrap right. this up, we gotta get into tropes really quick. Yeah, just a few what, what are those? All right, first thing, walk and talk. You know this. You love oh, this. Yeah. I know going what you're through about. hallways, rooms, doors, like everything. Just walking around the offices and talking very quick in impassioned conversations about both important topics and unimportant topics. The, the episodes blend these things really well. Nothing is too small to have a huge conversation about. Okay. Yeah. For example, one of the episodes I recently watched, um, they're talking about like the weather, uh, the president's weight, and then also gays in the military is the kind of the big topic for the episode. So there are these things that are kind of interwoven together. Awesome. Um, another what else? thing... If Donna was any inclination, uh, straight talking or wacky secretaries. <laughs> uh, Donna's kind of the featured secretary. She gets the most screen time, but uh, there are plenty of other quirky characters on the White House staff. Okay. There's a lot of uh, casual dropping of statistics, so people just pull numbers out of the air, quote laws or direct articles of the Constitution verbatim. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's off fun. the top of their head. They're, they're encyclopedias, yeah. Nice. And All of right, course, less than a minute, guys. Thing. What else you yeah. got? What's yeah. the most important thing here, Andrew? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. So Josh says that a lot, but the rest of the staff says okay a lot, too. That is like the punctuation at the end of the, the meeting. When that is, that is the copy that of the West Wing. Um, gotcha. And then also, what's next? When yeah, the topic they, is they done. They solve a problem. The, they don't celebrate. They say what's next. What's next? Move on. Next thing. Sure. Awesome. Keep working. Cool. So, how much we got? We got 20 seconds. We got 20 uh, whole to my, seconds. My, my, Tell, so, t- um, potential scenes. Yeah. This is going to be a meeting of the senior staff. Um, they're always on damage control, so the issue can come up. They need to get votes in Congress. Somebody said something they shouldn't have. Damage control. And the staff is working it. And as always, arguments over policy and moral dilemmas. Stuff Ooh, like that. Ooh. Out of time. Out, out of, of it. time. All right, what's nice. next? <laughs> what's next? Uh, next up, question any for other you. questions? Question for you. Uh, is there a first lady? Oh, is there? Yeah. Abby Bartlett. Abby. Dr. Bartlett. Yes, Dr. Abby Bartlett. Um, oh, yeah, and the president has secret MS, so that's, that's oh, something, too. And his, his wife's been treating him illegally under you the radar. You weren't supposed to tell me that, Marcus, no, for past that was, the time. that's season two, Marcus. Excuse you. <laughs> Well, I'll ignore that secret MS thing. Uh, so, Dr. Abby Bartlett. All right, sounds good. Um, Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing is... Okay, gotcha. Um, so, any bonus points for me? Yeah. Yes. Andrew. I'll kick, you, I'll kick it off. So, my bonus points to you is have the president tell a folksy story that somehow relates to the problem. All right, folksy story, like Abe Lincoln. Yeah. Yes. Very regal, you know. It, it relates perfectly to the situation. Awesome. Marcus? Okay. And so <laughs> we talked about the quoting historical documents and speeches from memory. Yeah. So I really want to see that happen um, in a debate. So two people are talking to each other. One says, you know, as the Constitution says, and then you quote something directly, and then they go, 
yes, but I believe it was Kennedy who said in his 1951 <laughs> <laughs> speech. You know, like, it's just back and forth, nonstop. Like, there's no big deal that they're dropping these knowledge bombs. Gotcha. So I have to research, is what you're telling me. Yeah, that's what I understand is how Sorkin wrote it, is he had a writing staff, but they were mostly just research aides. So they would bring him a ton of stuff, and then he would write all the scripts himself. Wow. Yeah, which is insane. That's impressive. 25 episodes a year, writing them all, being behind deadline. Yeah, and with the density of these scripts, you know, just mm-hmm. the number of conflicts in each episode and the amount, like, with the amount of dialogue, I would be interested to know what the page count on these episodes were, even sure. for being, like, 40-minute episodes. Wordy. Probably double that. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, anything, like, last minute, I know we're, like, out of time, so I'm gonna go run and write, but if there's any last minute things... I feel pretty know. good about this. Let, let Carlson hey. be Carlson. That's all I gotta say. All yeah. right. That's good. Will do. I'll be back in a few. Awesome. Hey, folks, while Eric is off writing, we'd like to make a quick request. If you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. Alright, thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Okay, while Eric is off walking and talking through the halls of the West Wing, Marcus, we have some predictions to make here. What do you think he's writing? What does Eric's Sorkin world look like? Eric Sorkin world. I'm guessing it's a world filled with pain because he doesn't know much about politics and he wants to impress us so that we don't make fun of him. Yep. And so I'm going to say that while he will have done his research, the topic of the political issue is going to be something that happened in the real world in the past couple months that he thinks he's thinking of for the first time. So it's going to be like, you know, (laughs) convention politics. Or sure. a Supreme Court tie, something like that. Got it, got it. I guess we didn't tell him to specifically set it back in the time of the West Wing. I don't think we said anything about that, so right. that's free game. Yeah, I think it's just going to happen. So I'm going in a similar but slightly different direction. Uh, there's going to be policy in this piece, I believe, but it's going to be a little weird. It's going to go a little fantastic, I'm thinking. If there are aliens involved... All the better. <laughs> if if Martin Freeman sounds more like Bill Pullman from the movie Independence Day, I will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Martin Freeman? Oh, did I say Martin? Martin Sheen. Martin, Martin Sheen. Sheen. Not not Bilbo Baggins. No. <laughs> Although a billion bonus points if Bilbo Baggins is somehow in this story. <laughs> Some double secret... Yes. Bonus points. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, Martin Sheen, he's pretty short. Who yeah. knows? Maybe he has hairy feet. He's the president. Respect the <sighs> office, Andrew. Uh, it's Mr. President, excuse Mr. me. Mr. President. But, all right. I think these are good predictions. I hope that one of the two of us is pleased. Let's bring the man back. Yeah, okay. Oh, is that Josh Lemon <laughs> Lyman? <laughs> You got it, bud. <laughs> oh, what's next, baby? Uh, what's next is that we're gonna re- listen to uh, we're gonna listen to my <laughs> my beautiful beautiful West Wing uh, story. Is the dialogue poetry? <laughs> I don't know about that. Can you read it to us on a treadmill <laughs> like you're walking and talking? You know that might actually help. Uh, but um, you know I got nothing to say about it. I'm just worried about doing all these voices because there are too many characters. So, let's just get to it, shall we? Yes, please. Okie doke. This is uh, The West Wing by Eric Carlson. If anyone asks, just tell them that it's all been blown out of proportion, Josh Lyman said with a hint of queasiness in his voice, as he and Donna marched out of McGarry's corner office and made a beeline down the hall. Is that the official stance? She asked from his left, keeping pace with the frantic staccato rhythm of her hard-soled shoes. We don't have an official stance yet, he replied with a grimace. But it's all over the the news, and these vultures want to tear us apart. We're not dead yet, offered Donna. What? 
Scavengers. Vultures are scavengers. They'd only be tearing us apart if we were dead. Or dying, he agreed. Ahead, Sam Seaborn rounded the corner and nearly ran into them outside of the Oval Office. He was holding some papers and looked as if he'd been running all morning. Josh, he began as he stopped in his tracks. Sam, I'm just heading to see your boss. Is Toby in his office? He is. Seaborn breathed as he changed directions and fell in step beside Lyman, handing him a piece of White House stationery. But he sent me to find you. We need an official statement from the president regarding this incident with McGarry. Yeah, you and 97 other people this morning, Lyman moaned as he skimmed the document. DC police already made a statement and there's not much else we can say. People are going to want to know if McGarry's getting canned over this, Sam pleaded. You've got to give me something. The president isn't going to say a thing until he talks to Leo, replied Lyman, handing the paper back. Donna chimed in with, I'm sure it's all just been blown out of proportion. <laughs> exactly, smiled Lyman. Can we stall the press? Briefing room is already packed, Seaborn complained. Well, they can wait until after Bartlett talks to Leo. Donna, run back to the lobby and let me know as soon as he gets here. Yeah, okay, she quipped, then took a left through a door that led past the Roosevelt room and into the lobby. You know this isn't good, Seaborn said as they neared Ziegler's office at the end of the hall. The president's approval rating is hovering at 28%, and a scandal like this could completely discredit him. 9.2% of men in this country are diagnosed alcoholics, you know. This sort of thing happens. It doesn't happen in this administration, Josh. We need to defuse it. He punched a guy in the face, Sam. Everyone knows Leo is a firecracker. That's why he's good at his job. So can't we just use this to confirm that the president's right-hand man is someone to be reckoned with? We, sh we should send a strong message. That's all well and good but only if McGarry's not getting canned. They arrived at the office at the end of the hall to find Ziegler and CJ hovering over a computer screen, making frantic changes to the official White House statement. Tell me you brought us something from Bartlett, CJ shouted as soon as they stepped through the door. They could hear the clamor of a hundred impatient voices talking at once from the nearby pressing, press briefing room. He hasn't said anything yet, said Lyman, and he won't till he talks to Leo. Oh, for Christ's sake. She replied as she stormed past them and into the hallway. I'll do it myself. CJ, Lyman shouted after her as he and Seaborn began to chase her down. Sam, came the voice of Ziegler from behind, who had also followed them into the hall. Go to the briefing room and let them know it'll be a few more minutes. Yeah, okay, he said as he turned back around and power walked past Ziegler's office. We have to say something, Josh said Ziegler. The White House chief of staff got drunk and assaulted a guy. Yeah, we should say something, but not until the president talks to Leo, he pleaded with them as they approached the Oval Office. Donna's voice rang from behind them. Josh, McGarry's in the building. They all stopped and turned to see her running down the hall towards them. Yeah, okay, said Josh. <laughs> Can I help you folks? came a voice from the direction that they had been heading. They all turned again to see President Bartlett sta leading Leo McGarry, who was now sporting a fresh black eye, into the Oval Office. McGarry looked angry and ashamed, his hands in his pockets. He said nothing to his staff, which was unnerving for all of them. CJ was the first one on it. Mr. President, we need an official statement for the press. Bartlett glanced back at McGarry, then to CJ and the rest of them. Tell them to go find some real news. <laughs> he then followed McGarry into the office and shut the door. The Oval Office was empty, save for the President's aide, Charlie Young, who had entered the room from the side door as soon as the door had slammed shut. Can you give us a few moments, Charlie? He said kindly. The young man nodded, then left them alone. The President sat down on the cream-colored couch at the center of the office and crossed his legs. Why don't you sit down, Leo? He offered amiably, gesturing to the chair across from him. Mr. President... McGarry said, not taking the seat. I must tender my resignation, sir. The president nodded to himself for a moment, then said, Why don't you sit down? McGarry glanced at the chair, then back to Bartlett, then sat down. He repeated, I have to resign. You're sure? Bartlett asked casually, as if they were discussing, some, discussing something as innocuous as what he had decided to eat for lunch. Yes, Mr. President. Bartlett seemed to consider this, then he uncrossed his legs and leaned forward in his seat, resting his elbows on his knees. You know, this reminds me of a story. <laughs> McGarry suddenly stood and said, Sir, I don't want to waste your time. I'm sorry for the, for the trouble I've caused, 
But Bartlett just waved his hand and shook his head, indicating that he should retake his seat. McGarry hesitated, but sat once again. Back in New Hampshire, the president began, we had this young assistant professor at the university by the name of Harry Sherman, taught the 100-level biology classes, very friendly, knew everybody, amazingly intelligent, all that. Well, after he had been teaching for about nine months, we started noticing some things had gone missing around campus. Nothing big, some microscopes and the like from the science building, and a couple of very old books from the library. A few personal items also took flight, as it were. Uh, specifically, an old wristwatch of my father's had been taken from the front seat of my car. I never used to lock it back then. Well, of course, losing the watch was a grievous offense to me, but and I, like many of the professors at the university, demanded something be done. The culprit must be found. And then the police tracked down those antique books and found out that they were sold to a bookstore in Durham by none other than our good friend Harry. He was confronted, and it came out that he had stolen everything, including my father's watch. I felt betrayed. Here was a bright young man with a great career ahead of him, whom I had spoken to almost every day for the past nine months, and he had stolen from me. How could such a man turn out to be a criminal? And the worst part of it all was that the president of the university at the time, Hal Steinbeck, refused to press charges. I, I was outraged. I marched into Hal's office and gave him a piece of my mind. I told him that Harry should be dismissed immediately and that anything less than jail time would be insufficient punishment. Well, Hal listened patiently to my tirade, reached into his desk drawer and pulled out my father's watch. I was stunned. I, I thought I'd never see it again. He hands it to me and he tells me that I'm... And, and, and he, tell, he hands it to me, and he tells me something that I'm never going to forget. He says, Jed, let's not go turning on each other just yet. He then goes on to tell me that Harry had returned everything, and that he had been diagnosed with this thing called kleptomania, compulsive disorder that made him steal. I actually laughed at this. Theft is theft, I told him. <laughs> but Hal didn't agree. You know what he did? He told Harry that if he wanted to keep his job, he'd have to find treatment, therapy, drugs, whatever he could do to get this problem under control. And he was absolutely right. Things stopped disappearing, and Harry kept teaching and going to therapy twice a week. Anytime the compulsion got the better of him and he took something, he'd bring it back the next day. I learned something then, Leo. Punishment is in the mind. Harry was a smart young man, so when he was caught and given a second chance, I think he felt appropriately ashamed and perhaps a bit more determined to do better. Would losing his job and spending a few weeks in jail have taught him that? I really doubt it. But we, as a people, were programmed to equate crimes with justice, isn't that right? Isn't that why you're here, Leo? You committed a crime, and you think you know the appropriate punishment, right? <laughs> McGarry stared at the big oval rug at the center of the room for a moment, before meeting Bartlett's penetrating gaze. No offense, Mr. President, but it's a matter of degrees. Theft is one thing. Assault is entirely different. You didn't kill anyone, Leo. You punched a guy in the face. And from everything I've heard about that page, he probably deserved it. I'm more concerned with the problem behind the punch, to, com to be completely honest with you. McGarry looked away at that and said, You're going to suggest therapy? AA meetings? Bartlett nodded. You don't think that's going to discredit you and your administration, having a violent alcoholic as your chief of staff? The damage has already been done, Leo, the president replied, rising to his feet. Let's not go turning on each other just yet. The president opened the door to find Lyman, CJ, Ziegler, and Seaborn, Donna, and Charlie all crowded together in the hallway. They froze, <laughs> making guilty eye contact with Bartlett as if they had all been caught with their hands in the cookie jar. He looked around at all of them for a moment, then smiled and stepped aside, letting McGarry through. Everyone backed up a step, making room for the man in the crowded hallway. Then McGarry broke the silence. What the hell are you all gawking at? Get back to work! And with that, they all scattered. The end. Woo! What? That was a story. It was a story. There was a 
There's a story in that story. There's a story of a story. Story yep. of a girl. She uh, cried this river. Uh, no. That's not at That's all not what the story. that was. That, no. Were you listening? <laughs> Were you here, Marcus? Where are you right now? Uh, Orlando? No. That's kind of cool, actually. How's that? <laughs> Extraordinarily hot and loud. I apologize <laughs> to our listeners. <laughs> uh, All them gators roaring oh. out back. Well, let's talk West Wing. Let's. That was a story. Uh, <laughs> I, I've heard a few times now that that was a story. <laughs> No, I uh, I was if I can start here, Andrew. I, I was very yeah, impressed by the sentiment there at the end. Um, there was a lot of nuance that was you know removed from the West Wing, but that's to be expected when it's such a dense show and we're just fanboying out about it for ten minutes at you, fifteen minutes, whatever that was. Uh, but the moment between Bartlett and Leo was so true to the show. I was very impressed. And actually, choosing the detail of his father's watch, Bartlett's father's legacy plays a huge role on him in the series. Oh, cool. So that was a very clever thing to pull in, even though I don't think we discussed that at all. No. Nice. Andrew? Any any reactions? Yeah. Um. The... Uh... The bits at the beginning were fun. I, I really liked the... You got the feel of it right, where one of the big uh, pieces of detail that you said was that Seaborn came around the corner, almost ran into them, and then almost fell in with them. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's how conversations and scenes work on the West Wing. Because you'll maybe follow Josh to start, and he'll meet up with Sam, and then CJ will join them, and Josh will go off, but Sam and CJ will continue walking. And that's the feel I got it. I could see it, and I it felt good, <laughs> you know, to to kind of get the feel of the walk and talk. You really nailed that part of it. Great. Um, yeah, and one of my favorite uh, bits in the whole thing was near the beginning uh, with the the vulture comments. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, very like the the relationship between Donna and Josh there, just just you know, characterized just through that bit was was dead on and and very fun. I liked that. I think that was my favorite part of the whole piece, actually. Nice. <laughs> that was that was completely solid. Yeah, I, I'd written down the vultures as well. <laughs> well, cool. So, sir, uh huh, how was the process for you? Oh man, this one was painful. I gotta I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. This was so hard because the the assignment, I was really trying to to get all the pieces in the assignment and they don't really all work together. Like I knew that there had to be a walk and talk because that is to be expected on West Wing, even though it wasn't necessarily bonus points. But trying to figure out uh, something to write where it has a walk and talk, but it also has a folksy story from the president, but it also has facts and figures being dropped is was it was not an easy task like that was a lot of stuff to put together that is easy to do maybe in like a half an hour or an hour long program and not so much Mm -hmm. in like you know under two thousand words and i struggled like i and part of my my problem with that was that i just don't know uh enough about politics or how (laughs) anything about the white house to know any sort of issue to write about like i did a lot of research just trying to figure out how the west wing worked and how you know what what the roles of all the people are um but that didn't tell me what kind of conflict might actually show up you know so i decided to choose something internal and like okay you gave me this bit that that uh that McGarry is an alcoholic. I'll let that create a scandal, and and they'll deal with the scandal. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm. That's it. <laughs> that was that was the subject of both Andrew and my secret bonus points. <laughs> oh yeah. Was uh, what political thing were you going to choose to make this about? Oh sure. Yeah, Marcus thought you were going to choose something from recent current events, uh-huh. and I thought you were just going to go full-blown sci-fi or fantasy with it and just, like, make <laughs> aliens come <laughs> uh, That would have been fun. 
do some Sorkin dialogue. Uh, you, I, I, I specifically pulled Independence Day, Bill Pullman, as an example. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, that's a tough thing. This show is very dense. There are times that the, the verbal sparring around policy can be overwhelming, especially to someone who is not articulate in that language. Mm-hmm. There are times, uh, I'm not a very political person, and there are times that the dialogue goes over my head. Um, so the, it, it's, it's a challenging part, but it's also one of the reasons I love the show. <laughs> I love the, the heavy themes and the difficult subject matters that they're tackling. There's something really gratifying, I think, about reading something or watching something where as a writer, knowing how much work the author of that piece put into it, it's just like watching someone do something extraordinarily hard and you don't have to worry about it. It's like yeah. watching, watching the West Wing. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, that must have been rough. Or reading A Song of Ice and Fire and you go, oh, you had to think of all that stuff? That's exhausting. Give me a good dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm sitting on my couch drinking a beer and eating Cheetos. Exactly. <laughs> watching slash reading it. Uh, uh, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, a couple of the, the fun inaccuracies yes, with this. Yes. So, as much as it was a personal problem at the center of your piece, and there are plenty of personal issues that come up in the West Wing, they're usually the big serialized uh, uh, conflicts are usually the personal ones, as opposed to the policy debate that goes week to week. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the personal matters, it's interesting, as much as you focused on those Everyone felt very professional and less chummy than they do in the show. Uh, just the fact that you were referring to everybody by their last names yeah. for the most part was really difficult for me as a big fan of the show to follow well, because everybody refers to each other by their first name except for the president. The president is always Mr. President, never Bartlett, always Mr. President, and everybody else calls each other on their first, by a first-name basis. I thought I did pretty well. I mean, the the only person, or the only name that I think that a character references, like a last name, is well, they refer to Bartlett when they're not around the president, and then somebody says, calls uh, Leo McGarry, uh, but otherwise it was just the pros that uses the last names. Well, and that threw me off. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because again, this this show we never get the pros you know yeah we just get the characters speaking and um it's always their first names so it took me a while to to acclimate my ear to that and that's it's such a funny thing because it, it's so small that it wasn't something that we would have mentioned mm-hmm. uh but it is one of those things that completely singles it out as being a separate uh piece although from a writing perspective i thought you did really well with uh you had one of the lower members of the staff refer to Leo as McGarry. Mm-hmm. And then it's Josh, who's the direct deputy of Leo, who says Leo. Mm-hmm. So I thought that you were making a conscious choice there, and I appreciated that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, even though it was different from what we see in the show. Sure. Um, yeah. No, I mean, any anything else? Um, I mean, tear into it. Other than just differences from the show. Like, how is the actual writing? Yeah, so uh, the I like I really like the story scene. I thought that was good, and again, just shocking how close it was to the show in so many regards. And there are scenes, or at least a scene, Andrew will remember this better, where someone is trying to resign to Bartlett, and Bartlett doesn't let them. <laughs> um, so that's mm-hmm. something that we've seen in the show. Gotcha. Nice. I think uh, you did a great job of the sense of urgency, and it, that was another thing that is similar to the West Wing as well, where everyone's just trying to get the statement. And because there's such a large staff, everyone who comes in is bringing up the same question again, even though the answer hasn't had time to change. Yes. So they're like, we need the statement. And that happens constantly on the West Wing. It's a great way of ratcheting up the tension because it makes the viewer uncomfortable because they know we don't have any change in the situation yet. Right. Uh, and I really appreciate that in the way that you structured this. Cool. What bothered me about the structure of it is that it felt like these two halves, and they didn't quite coalesce to me. So you had the beginning, which was all walk and talk, ins and outs, fast banter, and then we got to the end with two characters who hadn't been in the rest of the piece, 
and they sat down and had this heart-to-heart. And while that moment, as Marcus has pointed out, I felt was very strong, um, especially near the end, um, I think the story itself, again, because it came midway through the piece, felt kind of long, and again, I had to kind of readjust myself as a listener to this very new thing that was happening. Um, You know, him telling this long, detailed story is very different than a bunch of people rat-a-tat dialogue. Um, And that threw me off. Did it throw you off at all to hear Leo referred to as a hothead? (laughs) Because that was something that struck me for a second. A little bit. Like, just Leo getting in a fight and getting punched (laughs) or punching someone is weird. (laughs) And Leo Leo was a vet, so you know he's capable of it. Uh, But it it was just funny for me for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, and Leo's alcoholism is, uh, again, that's one of those personal things that is a... uh, a problem on the show. Um, yeah. uh, he does go to AA on the show. It's one of his things that he does. Um, he, I mean, even when the show begins, he's already, you know, in check and going to meetings. And he's in recovery for most of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I think we could do uh, what's next. I think we could do our, our reviews, our ratings. Yeah, no, lay it on me. All right, Andy, you want to take it off? Yeah, I'll kick it off. So yeah, um, because of those things that the the, the, the aforementioned uh, problems that I had with it, um, there's plenty of uh, kind of textual things, uh, tropes of the show that I felt that you hit, um, but the piece itself just didn't quite mesh. It felt like two separate things, and as you said, as you said, was a challenge that you tried to take on. Um, all these things did not quite click for me. Um, and as much as there were elements of the show that you hit, um, it was strange to me, and again, this is just as a fan of the show, um, some of those details that I mentioned threw me out. Um, though I will give you extra points for the fact that you used, okay, at least three times as I counted. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were more. Mm-hmm. I counted three. Three. And you got my bonus points, which you, you, I mean, like, you spent a great deal of time on my bonus points with that story. Um... So, I am going to give you, uh, what am I going to give you? I'm going to give you, hmm, I'm going to give you 70 out of 100 senators in the Senate. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) Marcus. All right. So, I think I didn't feel that the story was as disconnected as I think Andrew did. Because although there's a definite tone shift, the payoff with the meeting with Leo is what the whole build of the piece is about. So I think from the very onset, the first conversation between Josh and Donna, you're building up to this moment. So in another draft, you would have smoothed it out, but it does feel like a whole piece to me. Uh, However, you don't get my bonus points because I didn't see the casual back-and-forth historical quoting. There are a couple stats quoted back-and-forth, but I, I just didn't get uh, what I was really looking for there. What were you looking for? <laughs> I threw in numbers. I there there you were a couple numbers. numbers. You, you did good with the numbers, but I, I was really hoping for just a lot more, like, have you seen, as you know, Thomas Paine said this, and as Alexander Hamilton said that. Oh, you wanted quotes? I wanted to see, yeah, I want to see some quotes and some oh. numbers. I want to see, uh, so... I blame you for that one. <laughs> for for the listeners who just heard this over the last hour, uh, <laughs> maybe I'm really contradicting myself. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. That's the fun of the show. Yeah. Uh, this so, just makes Eric mad. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to give you uh, an approval rating of 87%. Whoa. Which is extraordinarily Whoa. high for a president. No kidding. But, uh, you know. Whoa! I'm, uh, I think you earned it. Gee whiz, guys. I, uh... So, Eric. Yeah. I want to ask you something. Yeah. Here. This is something I don't think we normally ask on the show, but what did you felt? What did you feel you took away the most from this? Right. Because this was what a this was challenge for you. Oh, man. What was it? Uh, I learned that sometimes to tell a good story in short format, um, it is sometimes just better to ignore the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which is something that I, uh, I I have to admit I did a lot in school. Uh, <laughs> no, that's stupid. I could learn more by doing this. Um, but no, if if I had uh, had to do this over again, <laughs> Where and were actually, you during Wolf of Wall Street, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no, no. I, it, when I'm writing, I have different standards for myself than when you're okay. writing. Um, but if I were to try to create a nice self-contained short story, it would not look like this. I mean, it would, sure. it would, I would try to make it all mesh together uh, a little bit better and not force some of the elements that I did. So that, that, that's what I learned. Right. Don't, don't do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and noted and stays to a school kid. Yeah. Uh, don't listen to Mr. Carlson. Um, do your assignments. Education is very important. <laughs> All right. President Bartlett would, would agree. Uh-huh. All right. So if you want to watch the West Wing and Eric is going to immediately after this and, uh, learn some more things about how government is run. You have to. Because if there's one way you learn about government, it's from a fictionalized television program. If I learned anything from my hungover social studies teachers who just told us to stay chill for about 45 minutes watch The West Wing. <laughs> uh, so you can find The West Wing uh, right now on Netflix. All seven seasons are available there. You can also pick it up on DVD, wherever DVDs are sold. It comes in a pretty cool box set oh I, yeah i own it so it's do i <laughs> yay we'll link to it on the website ah oh and also i want to make this plug uh there's a podcast out there run by west wing alum joshua Molina and his co-host Rishi herway i believe is his name uh west wing weekly in which they go episode by episode and talk about the West Wing. And because Molina's on the show, there's lots inside baseball about how the show actually ran, and he's friends with Sorkin, so he has some inside scoops on that. And they bring on members of the cast and the crew. And it's a lot of fun. delightful. I should listen it's to that. It's a really great podcast. I, they have a lot of fun, and I have a lot of fun listening to it. So check it out on the Podcatcher of your choice. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we sign off here? I just, nah, you uh, know my feelings on the dredge. Uh, yeah, no. Oh. You can't beat them. They're pure energy. <laughs> yeah, we know. We know. Oh, so I've learned. I still need to watch that movie myself. Oh, my goodness. All right. For Sham Fiction, I'm Andrew Neal, and thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Greetings by the old gods and new. Next week, we invite you to share our bread and salt as you take shelter in Sham Fiction's halls. Weary travelers are welcome to stable their horses and indulge in an indulgently described meal as they await the results of the tourney. That's right, we're finally crossing the narrow sea as Andrew writes a tale fit for a knight. Until then, I must see my meister about a raven.